0: Welcome to the Commodity Culture Podcast, where we interview prominent investors in the commodity space to give you the inside scoop on the emerging commodity super cycle. And now, on to the show. Hello and welcome to Commodity Culture, where we give an overview of the commodity space for both new and experienced investors. Before we dive in, standard disclaimer, none of this is investing advice. Do your own due diligence. And today's guest began his career in private banking in Switzerland before he spent over 20 years working in London, where he specialized in the exchange-traded derivatives markets. He is the creator and host of the Moneco 64 YouTube channel and also writes about economics for Tyne Valley Express Magazine. Mr. Mario Maneco, welcome to the program.
1: Uh, you're, wel- you're welcome, and uh, thank you for having me on your uh, channel.
0: Appreciate it. So let's get started with your own journey in investing. How did you begin investing, and how would you describe your overall investing philosophy?
1: Well, I, I guess uh, indirectly, uh, I started investing when I got my first job in Switzerland. Um, I was hired by this small private bank or portfolio manager, and uh, in Switzerland, they they have a, a pension system. A private pension system, and they invested for me. Uh, but I also got interested in trading, uh, which is a little different than investment. But yeah, that's how it started. Uh, I didn't. I wasn't one of those people who started out as a teenager or anything like that. I wasn't. I only really got interested in uh, the markets and trading probably in my early twenties.
0: Nice and. How would you describe your overall investing philosophy? I know you have a, a deep interest in real assets like gold and silver. Is that a key component of, of how you approach things?
1: Yeah, I mean, I've always been a little bit, you know, not really mainstream. Uh, yes, uh, I guess the companies I've worked for, I've had private pensions. They they invest in the, in the normal uh, 60, 40 stocks and bonds but maybe through my family background and having grown up in brazil like one of my grandfathers he didn't like investing in the stock market he had like real estate property my dad wasn't into uh traditional investing he 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 put a lot of his uh savings in real estate property and uh yeah i i'm um, uh, ever since uh oh two for about that that period after the uh, dot-com bubble burst and my private pension took a big hit uh and i had a private pension through the the firms that i worked for i started looking at, at alternatives and uh started looking into gold and silver and more commodities and i think uh yeah gold is more of a a savings instrument it's more like uh putting your money away and saving it, but uh, a good kind of money. Because if you leave your uh, savings in fiat currency, like uh, we ha- we've we had for like over 50 years, it's losing value all the time, especially with interest rates being uh, negative now, like in real terms. So I look at uh, gold and silver more as savings and as money. And funnily enough, they they do a job. Some people call it a dead asset. Uh, gold or silver, but they, they actually do a really good job in in an um, environment where you have a depreciating fiat currency system. They almost act as an investment and you get more and more fiat every year uh, from having gold and silver. And then when I started, uh, I started buying a few gold coins, silver bars, in you know, 02, 'o three. And then I started looking into the the mining sector as well, which is different. It's more speculative, I I would say. And you have to be nimble in in that space. And also uh, commodities. I've been looking in general more for the last two and a half, three years, because uh, I sense that we're going through a uh, rebalancing of the scales. We've had 30, 40 years of uh, financialization of uh, uh, currency and credit money and credit going into technology, real estate, uh, stocks, bonds, uh, financial engineering, all the buybacks uh internet, cryptos and, and I think uh, the commodity space, real things uh, that's been kind of neglected. I, I mean the the top in commodities was, Uh, in this century was in 2008 and we're nowhere near that top uh in, in the general sense the broad commodities so um and now we're seeing a lot of money start starting to flow out not just out of the nasdaq and stocks in general but also the bond market so even if investors uh don't uh shift all their funds to commodities, and they won't, of course, even if they shift a small percentage of that into the commodity space. I think it's going to make a huge difference to the commodity space and especially precious metals as well.
0: You speak a lot on your channel about, you know, the Federal Reserve and what they're doing as well as central banks around the world, kind of the insane monetary policy that's that's been in place these days. What are some of the challenges you see up ahead in our current economic environment?
1: well the the biggest challenge is for the central banks is uh reversing the massive inflationary environment they've created and uh i'm not sure if they they're going to be able to do it if if anything i think they have a very small chance of succeeding of an engineering a soft lending and i think we're seeing already all the symptoms of uh the troubles that uh we're We're going through, we've been through, and we're going to keep going through. And mostly it's uh, depreciating currencies, not just in uh, emerging market in poorer countries, but also in Western Europe, North America, Um, stagnant economic growth, mainly because the uh, policy of the last 15 years has been to create money and credit via the central banks, pump it into the uh, public sector, uh, government spending, and it's crowded out the uh, private economy. So yeah, there's a lot of challenges and, and uh, I don't think they will succeed. And, and that's why I think uh, it's also uh, important. Uh, and this is, again, not financial advice, but I, I think it's really key that you have some exposure to real assets and have some of your savings outside the um, banking financial system. Uh so yeah the challenges are great and I don't think they'll succeed. Uh yeah and there's a danger that they lose control of the narrative, they lose control of what they call inflation expectations and we could see things get completely out of hand uh and even a uh, uh, currency collapse and cur- currency collapse is uh, Usually happens uh, when yeah, people not only lose uh, confidence in the banking system, in the monetary authorities, but also they lose confidence in the uh, establishment, politicians, all all the major institutions of, uh, let's say, the media, uh, educational, university system. And uh, yeah, I I think the West is um, in bad shape in, in terms of that.
0: So holding physical gold and silver is one way to store wealth, uh, outside of the financial system. And I think a lot of people in these legacy brand countries, Canada, America, you know, a, a lot of Europe, they've kind of grown accustomed to the way things are and they almost can't imagine that a collapse would happen or that they wouldn't be able to access their savings in the bank. Do you think it's possible that the the banking system could break down and and people in in Western countries might not be able to get access to their funds like we've seen in some other countries in the past?
1: Oh, definitely. I mean, uh, in 08, it was a matter of uh, a day, I think, or hours that um, uh, the U.S., (laughs) uh, that people couldn't access their their funds. Uh, I think a lot of uh, money market funds broke the buck, so to speak. And uh, I think uh, politicians were giving were uh, doing speeches in Congress saying that uh, they could have had martial law because uh, the banks were collapsing. the The thing about getting your funds from the bank is that you think you have ten thousand dollars in the bank, but uh, the bank doesn't keep those ten thousand dollars in a the vault. Uh, they they lend it out ten many times over. Uh, not expecting that people are all going to come at once to take their funds out. Uh, So that's the fragility of the system, the fractional reserve system. And of course, it could happen uh, in the West and it could it happened in Cyprus, which is part of the EU. I think it was 2011. I don't remember exactly the year. Uh, uh, uh people that uh, had over the insured amount, I think it was a hundred thousand euros, they lost all, all those funds in the banks, especially uh, not just individuals, but uh, companies and uh, businesses that had need to keep a, a large cash flow. So unfortunately, for some businesses, they they do need to keep uh, funds in the bank to run it. It's harder. But I think it's imperative that people know that there is a danger. Your uh, the, the funds you put in a bank are, are not yours legally in the West. They're an unsecured loan to, to the bank. So, yeah, I, I think it's it's possible. I don't know whether it will, uh, but the probabilities are quite high or when, when it will happen.
0: So you've also mentioned before that in the event of some kind of catastrophic collapse of the currency, that the only things that will be left standing are gold and silver. Could you elaborate on that?
1: Well, I guess in terms of uh, money and uh, something that's used to exchange goods and services, that will be the only thing. But uh, but there are, there are of course during a hyperinflation. And I've interviewed a few people who've gone through this, uh, like in Romania in the late 90s, and recently in in Lebanon. Uh, There's more than just money that you need in a hyperinflation, you need to have uh, contacts in the community, you have to be in good standing with people in the community, and you have to help each other out. Um, Gold and silver will only go so far, Uh, I, I would say, if you can hold on to your gold and silver uh, when you're going through hyperinflation, you will do. You will have done well. And the, actually, I think it's after the hyperinflation, when the dust settles, that you can put the, especially the gold to work, the silver uh, as well. But but the silver might help in terms of bartering for things during during the collapse.
0: So you've also mentioned that when the price of gold, the paper price fluctuates, it can make people uncomfortable who are holding it. And you kind of pose the question, well, what's the other alternative? Are you going to put your faith in fiat currencies and, you know, corrupt governments that we're seeing all across the world now? And I definitely think you make a a great point because throughout history, all fiat currencies have gone to zero. So why do you think it is that people in our current era find that so hard to even conceptualize or believe could come to pass? Is it a lack of education? Is it the fact that in the West we've been living in this artificial economy for so long that we can't see the danger lurking in plain sight?
1: Uh, well, I don't think it's the lack of education. I think it's just uh, the wrong education because the people in charge of the whole system, uh, the, the the financial uh, overlords, if you want to call them that. Uh, they endow the universities. They they uh, buy uh, influence in government and uh, in the cur- curriculum uh, of the educational system. A- and uh, unfortunately, even in universities, uh, unless you know, I-, I went to a university and uh, I never learned about the things that I learned later on in life when I started looking into the system uh, around the, after the dot com bubble. Uh, So, yeah, it's the it's just that they don't want to people to know about the truth, I would say, uh, of the kind of uh, monetary system that we have, maybe and the people that did learn what money (laughs) really is and and how the system is um, not fit fit for purpose. They're already a a lot older or maybe not even around. Uh, I mean, Jim Rickards sometimes. He talks about these things, but I think he was probably one of the last guys to uh, learn about this at university in the early mid-70s. But after that, I remember one of my professors at university, uh, economics, the only thing he mentioned about gold was uh, when he said, well, in 1971, Richard Nixon closed the gold window and that was it. It was a matter of seconds, but he did not elaborate or try to explain the uh, consequences of Nixon's decision and what it meant, and and, uh, and it's really weird because money is a uh, or currency is such an in, uh, important part of uh, the whole commercial life uh, of everyone. It's uh, half of every every commercial transaction, and yet we never ask ourselves what is it really. And I think that's the problem. Maybe also the educational system doesn't um, teach people to think they want people to uh, just uh, I think it was uh, the intention of people like the robber barons, for example, the Rockefellers and people like that, that the educational system was there just to uh, prepare people to be good workers (laughs) You know, and not ask questions. And I think that's the problem. Uh, Very few people uh, do ask questions. And uh, yeah, maybe not just like not teaching them about money, but also not um, asking uh, people uh, when they teach them to ask questions about things.
0: What are your thoughts on the manipulation of the precious metals market? Uh, You hear a lot about that online, hear people who stack gold and silver complaining about it constantly. Do you think there is a concerted effort to suppress the price of gold and silver? And if so, could you break down why someone would do that or or some entity would do that?
1: Well, uh, I'm not even sure if it's uh, suppressing it, even though sometimes they do suppress the price. I think it's more to do uh, with the fact that um, they don't want the general public to realize that gold and silver are very safe and that they protect you uh, against fiat currency debasement. Because if a lot of people knew about that, they they wouldn't want to play the uh, fiat currency game. That would implode their system. They wouldn't be able to do a lot of the things that they do, finance a lot of their wars, uh, welfare state, corporate uh, welfare and everything. And um, some people ask, you know, if they do manipulate and suppress the price, how come the price has gone up over the long term? Well, because they can't keep it down over the long term because of the law of supply and demand. But I think what happened uh, in 19 uh, in the mid 70s, when the US made gold legal again, they had to find a way uh, to keep uh, the public out of gold. So there are some WikiLeaks, uh, leaked documents of correspondence between the State Department, the US Treasury, and bullion dealers in the foreign office in London, because London is the uh, center for bullion trading. And they uh, were asking the question, what's the best way to keep the public away from buying physical gold and from you know, acquiring gold. And and the the solution was to start a futures contract on the COMEX uh, for gold, there had been already a silver, uh, silver futures since I think the 60s, but no gold contract because gold was not legal. So uh, in in these memos on Wikipedia, uh, they talk about the fact that uh, a gold futures contract with a lot of leverage, would make the market very volatile and keep the public away from it because they would see commodity uh, gold just as another risky and volatile commodity and, and i think that's what they do that that that's the whole scheme because if they didn't control uh the gold price through the futures and also uh through the over the counter market on the LBMA because gold is really traded as well as a a foreign currency. It's XAU, uh, the ticker for gold and for silver's XAG. Uh, Yeah, if they didn't control those markets, the gold price would always be going up in a straight line. And, (laughs) and their uh, fiat system would would have been finished long ago. But eventually, uh, they will have to let the price go higher because or else they'll lose a lot of the physical because uh, official holdings is only 17% of all the gold that there is uh, above ground that has ever has been like uh, mined for historically. So it's not that much. And uh, they, they try to uh, suppress the price back in the 60s when we were still in the fixed uh, rate uh for gold under the Bretton Woods system through the London Gold Pool, which was like an overt overt, uh, agreement uh, of central banks and treasuries in North America and Western Europe to keep gold at 35. But by the late 60s, the French uh, government said, we we have to stop this because we're selling all our gold to keep the dollar uh, strong against gold. So, yeah, I don't think it will... uh, last forever and i think the achilles heel of this system we saw in 2020 is that um what the bullion banks do is that uh they lease uh physical gold from the central banks and then they rehypothecated they let's say they lease a ton then they sell uh 50 tons in paper um But when people start asking for physical delivery, especially the very wealthy and the big institutions, uh, that's when the whole thing, uh, you know, that's when the bullion banks are going to have to cover, and they will know when that that comes because they they control this paper price.
0: There's a lot of talk out there these days about central bank digital currencies. You know, uh, Christine Lagarde's been talking about it. Powell's spoken about it. Um, Do you think? that it's realistic that there could actually be a central bank digital currency that is widely adopted or forced upon the people and they just accept it. And, you know, there's a lot of privacy concerns with that. There's the fact they can automatically deduct taxes, track your spending, even potentially put a cap on or tell you how long you have to spend the money to kind of force you to spend it. Do you think this could come to pass? And in, in a situation like that, how does gold and silver help to protect us?
1: so uh, the first question is whether we could have uh cbdc's i guess uh, our current system now um the currency is created mostly by the commercial banks and um yeah the the bank notes, uh are printed by the governments or the central bank or the treasury So it's not really a a central bank digital currency. Uh, For that to happen, you'd have you'd need the whole private commercial banking system to collapse. Then you go, you know, the central bank would be issuing directly. You'd have an account with the central bank. Uh, I I think we already have digital currencies now, the way banking is done. But um, yeah, it is possible, and and this could be the way that that they want to take us. Uh, yeah, it would be a lot easier for the central banks to control, uh, monetary policy. They would, uh, be able to rein in, uh, the currency in the system or pump the currency in the system. They wouldn't, uh, have to worry about imposing negative interest rates because they'd have total control. They can track you already, which is something they can already do, uh, as for gold and silver, it's just like now. I, I mean, we, we we are in a fiat currency, almost a digital currency system, and gold and silver are still very useful to have outside the system, and I wouldn't see it changing with a digital currency unless they put capital controls uh, on, on people uh, acquiring gold and silver. And, and that's why I think it's probably a, a, not a bad idea to get some Uh, Now, why you you still can? Yeah, that's the the way I see that. And um, I try not to, um, you know, and uh, I I don't think a a central bank digital currency will be better than a fiat currency, unless it's backed by something uh, like gold and silver. And I don't think they want to do that, because uh, they'd be giving up control.
0: Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Mario. It's been an excellent conversation. Uh, could you let people know where to find you if they want to hear more from you?
1: Yeah, it's Maneco 64 on YouTube. Uh, yeah, I make a video there uh, Yeah, virtually every day and uh, a live stream on Sundays at 9 p.m. London time.
0: Great. I'll put the link to that channel in the description below so people can find it. And thank you so much. We'll have to have you on again in the future to continue the conversation.
1: You're welcome, uh, Jesse, and uh, nice speaking with you, and good luck with your channel.
0: Commodity Culture is a podcast that covers investing in commodities and natural resources. If you'd like to hear more, be sure to subscribe so you are always alerted of the latest episodes.